Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. The message I am going to speak on this morning is a very serious message. When Pastor Wayne asked me a few days ago to preach, I sought the Lord and what I should speak on. And uh, I have a lot of messages. I've done a lot of preaching in the past in my time. And the Lord told me, tell them that I'm coming soon. Tell them I'm coming soon. Serious times, folks, demand a serious message. Israel is at war again and again and again, and again. And it's never going to end until the Prince of Peace comes. I heard in the press the other day that somebody said this was the first war in about 50 years. I remember that war very specifically, the Yom Kippur War in October 1973. I was 23 years old. Some of you are old enough to remember that war. I did a little bit of uh, research on that. You know, there's been constant skirmishes since May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a modern state again. There was the Six-Day War of 1967. Who remembers that one? I remember Israeli forces marching in through the Eastern Gate and the soldiers crying down before Yahweh, thanking them. The first time Israeli soldiers had been on Israeli soil in the city of Jerusalem there. I remember the War of Attrition in the 60s, early 70s, the South Lebanon War from 80, I'm sorry, 71, 82, the Gaza War from 2008 to 9, another Gaza War in 2014. My wife and I were there in the Middle East just after that, as a matter of fact. And of course, today's wars, and that's not counting all the border skirmishes and all the things that have happened. If you're in Israel, you, who's been to Israel? Anybody here been to Israel? Well, you know there's a constant military presence. There's helicopters flying overhead. There's soldiers everywhere. You're very aware that you are in the land of the Bible. And uh, that's just the way it is. You know, if the Arabs quit fighting Israel, there'd be no war. If Israel quit fighting, there would be no Israel. This morning... We're preaching from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. I'm going to get into that in a couple of minutes. But I would like you to bear with me for a few minutes, if you would. The rapture of the church has happened. Millions of people around the world have disappeared. Most don't believe what is happening. They're just shocked. They're just stunned. I want to be a television reporter reporting on the news about 24 hours after the rapture of the church. Bear with me. I'm a newspaper reporter. I'm sorry, a TV reporter. Good evening from our global studios in downtown Toronto, Canada. Global News reports tonight that millions of people around the globe have vanished simply into fresh air, without a trace. There have been reports by the Russians and the Chinese that possible alien abductions have taken place on a massive scale in unprecedented human history. 
These two governments suspect unseen aliens with superior intelligence because even graves some hundreds of years old have been literally ripped open, and in many cases, the caskets remain open too. North Korea has put their military on high alert, and it is reported they are even firing nuclear weapons just in case alien intentions get worse, even though nobody's seen any aliens. This has also been done in response to some sort of cosmic worldwide deafening sound that happened apparently just before the disappearance of people. Some saying it even sounded supernatural, possibly again hiding alien intentions. In Africa, from Algeria to Madagascar, no nation or tribe, it appears, has been untouched. Their explanation to their remaining people is that the curses of their witch doctors has finally exacted revenge on various groups of professing Christians who fail to follow tribal gods, yet they worship the, the God of the Bible. Well, now they're gone too. Even in the United States and Canada, as well as around the world, there are massive reports of car accidents without drivers missing, plane crashes as pilots vanish, and even the mighty United States Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines report thousands of their servicemen gone. In many cases, as families gathered for evening meals, some vanished, others remained staring in shock and horror. In related news, Israel has put their military on high alert because once again they are afraid that the entire world will blame them for what has happened recently. No one in the scientific community has any plausible answers as to what has actually transpired in the last 24 hours. Neither do any world leaders. In fact, not even one remaining religious leader has a plausible explanation. I say remaining because all the extreme leaders like Franklin Graham and David Jeremiah and men like them who take the Bible literally, well, they're gone too. The one common denominator in all the millions who have vanished is this. It all appears like they had a fanatical faith that Jesus Christ was actually alive, that he had returned, was coming back literally to rescue them from a planet that seems to have no plausible explanation or human solution in sight. No nation on earth has been untouched. Against the advice of my peers, this TV reporter, with their permission, would like to read to you a passage of scripture from the Bible that I remember as a child years ago when I went to church. As ridiculous as this may sound, maybe, just maybe, these verses taken from 1 Thessalonians 4.13 could be at least an alternative explanation as to what has just happened around the globe in the last 24 hours. I'm reading from the New King James Version, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I hope that is comforting to you this morning. 
This event has not happened yet, but it will. It will happen exactly seven years before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, the rapture and the second coming of Christ, I believe, as most Bible scholars do, believe that they are two separate events. To be fair, there are scholars that don't agree with that. Some have other interpretations. But I believe the vast majority, at least of the people I have studied, believe in the order that I'm going to give it to you is the most plausible explanation in Scripture. So that brings us to the first point. Number one, what is the rapture of the church? Well, simply speaking, it is a one-time event when all believers, alive and dead, will literally be taken out of this world by Christ before terrible judgments come upon the earth. If you think things are bad now, you don't want to be here. Let me tell you, you want to be raptured. You might ask, well, what is a believer? Well, it is someone who believes in the literal birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And they've accepted him as their Lord and Savior. He's asked the Lord to forgive them of their sins, and he's come into their life. That's what a believer is. If you don't believe in the resurrection, if you are not a believer, you won't be raptured. If you are a believer, you will. Translation, all those who have died in Christ in the church age, from his lifetime until the church is taken out of this world, will escape the seven-year tribulation of judgment, the horrible things that are coming upon the world, simply to alert Israel again of their own Messiah. You have to bear in mind that when reading Scripture, that although the Bible is all about revealing God to mankind and having a particular relationship with him, he did it through a particular people, Israel. He could have chosen Egypt. He could have chosen Babylon, Assyria. He could have waited another 2,000 years to today. He could have been a Canadian, an American, a Russian, whatever. But no, he chose Israel. In fact, he told Israel, don't get too haughty over that. He said, you are the least of all the nations of the earth, and I chose you because I chose you. And it was through tiny little Israel that God gave us the patriarchs, the prophets, the Bible. Finally, God said, I will become human. I will walk among them in the form of a man. And he did that through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. When Israel failed over and over and over again in serving the Lord, although God judged them, he didn't write them off permanently, just like he did in you and I. Aren't you glad for that? Can I get a witness? We mess up all the time. I don't know about you, but you know, I got some bad stuff going on some days and I have to say, Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to have that attitude. I didn't mean to do that. And he does. If we confess our sins, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The apostle Paul earnestly tried to persuade his fellow Jews that the Christ whom they had killed was their Messiah in Acts chapter 28. When the vast majority refused to believe, Paul said in Acts 28 and 28, therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. That's us. And they will hear it. Paul was specifically talking about the church temporarily replacing Israel as God's missionary to the world for the last 2,000 years. There are people out there that believe in replacement theology. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. They believe that the Israel today has nothing to do with the Israel of the past. I don't believe that for a second. With God, there's no time. 
day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is as one day. If you're in Israel, you know that they're still very open and looking for a Messiah. But some people believe, some theologians, that the church, today's church, you and I, have replaced Israel. Boy, are they ever in for a shock. You see, the book of Romans was written to the church except for three chapters, 9 to 11. In these three chapters, God reminds us. He's reminding the Romans, don't get too haughty. Romans 11 and 29 says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind. If he's called you to do something, you better do it. Because he's not going to leave you alone until you do. You may wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. You may be walking down the street thinking about it. But he's going to remind you. If you want to have that peace, that perfect peace that passes all understanding. I call it a, a peace thermometer. The Lord lets me know when I mess up. And he lets me know real fast. And if I don't have peace, I say, Lord, help me to have that peace return. And he does. He warns these Roman Christians and us not to be motivated by pride and to live in a humble, repentant life. We are to still love the Jews, even though as a nation they are in blindness. Because there's coming a time when he will restore them to their rightful position of faith in the God of their ancestors. Always remember that the people who wrote the Bible were Jews. The first Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. And they are looking for their Messiah today. Paul compares the Gentiles or the church to a branch that is temporarily grafted into the main tree. Turn with me. I think it should be on the screen there to Romans 11, 19 to 29. Romans 11, 19 to 29. I'm going to read that. You will say then, this is Paul talking to the Roman Christians. Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's the church. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Hallelujah. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. The blindness in part has happened to Israel, and I will include as a nation, because there are individual Messianic Jews, until the fullness of the Gentiles is come. That's the rapture. That's the rapture of the church when he takes us out before horrible events happen on the face of the earth in an unprecedented scale. We'll be taken out of this world only to return with Christ seven years later at his second coming. There'll be a lot happening in those seven years. That's a message maybe for another time. The second point I would like to bring up this morning is what is the difference between the rapture and the second coming? There can be a lot of confusion in this area. There are phrases in both the Old and New Testament that are used by the prophets and the apostles to point to different things that happen at the end of history. Now, these phrases 
They usually describe events or times when God directly or indirectly intervenes in human affairs to accomplish his purposes. You've all heard phrases like the day of the Lord, that day. These are both used in the Old and New Testament and are usually used when referring to Jesus Christ physically coming back to earth. The New Testament uses terms like a day of wrath, a day of visitation, the great day of God Almighty, and referring to Jesus. These terms are used to describe God pouring out his wrath on unbelieving Israel and the rest of the world. Now, there is a big difference in the purpose of Jesus coming the first time and coming the second time. See, the first time he came as a helpless little baby. He was born of a human woman. His father was the Holy Spirit. That's why he called himself the Son of Man or called himself the Son of God. He was both. We don't understand it all. We just know it's true. He probably wet his diapers, as all little babies do. He probably cried in church when he shouldn't have or in the synagogue. He probably did things maybe he wasn't supposed to do. He had to learn. He went to school and so forth. But the one unique thing about Jesus the first time he was on earth for 33 years is that he never sinned. He never hated anybody. He never lied. He never stole anything. He, he, never, he just didn't do things he wasn't supposed to do. And I know as time went on, he was looked at more and more and more and more. And they wondered about him because even his own brothers, his own sisters looked at him. And the Bible says they didn't believe in him at first. But they certainly did after the resurrection. But the first time he came to show us how we should live. That we should love. That we should not hurt one another. That we should do all the things that we know we should do. Well, he did that. He's the only one that ever did that. And so he didn't deserve to die. You see, the Bible says we die because we sinned. I had a guy say to me one day, well, what do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm not a sinner. I said, well, you're going to die, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, well, that's why. Okay, if you're a sinner, you die. It's a point on the man once to die and then the judgment. And if you're not a sinner, you don't deserve to die. And so a great swap happened, if you will. Jesus said, I love you enough. I will pay the price for your lying. I'll pay, pay the price for your theft. I'll pay the price for the things I've done bad. And I've done some bad things I'm not proud of, folks. We've all, we all have. I've woke up in the middle of the night and I've said, Lord, that happened 40-some years ago and you forgave me. I'm just reminding you, John, that I paid for that on the cross. I paid for that. Well, he came the first time to pay for our sins. The great swap happened. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. When God looks at you, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he sees Christ. He doesn't see your sin. The second time he came, or at the second time when he will come, I should say, he will come in majesty in the sky. The entire globe will see him. He'll be coming as the supernatural lion, as the tribe of Judah, to take over the earth, to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. He will come to separate the wheat and the tares, the believers and the unbelievers who did not take the mark of the beast during the great tribulation. He will come to fulfill Acts 1 and 11. Do you remember when Jesus ascended into heaven? The apostles were standing and they are wondering what was going on. They didn't know what was going to happen next. And all of a sudden, these two men in white apparel, I believe they were angels, the Bible said, why are you staring at Jesus, this same Jesus? Hallelujah. Not someone else. Not an apparition. Not a figment of your imagination. This very same Jesus will so come in like manner 
as you've seen him go. He will come to fulfill John 14, 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Hallelujah. To receive you unto myself. Mostly he will come to make all things new and restore the earth from Eden lost to Eden gained. The word rapture is not found in Scripture. Just like the word Trinity isn't. You know, some of the cults like to think they can trip you up and say, well, that word's not in the Bible, and they're right, that part. But both words do describe biblical facts. The only way theologians can explain three yet one is with the word Trinity. Because the New Testament very much says God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet these three are one. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, which we read, Paul uses the Greek word harpazo, which means to snatch away or to seize. And it's translated caught up. Theologians use the word rapture to describe this sudden departure of the saints. It means ecstatic delight or the carrying of a person to another place or another sphere of existence. Any time in history, before God pronounces judgment, he raptures the righteous believers out of harm's way. You say, well, when? When did that happen? Well, it happened before the flood. God raptured Noah, his wife, the three sons, and their wives. Before God destroyed the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he raptured Lot, his wife, and two daughters. You know what happened to his wife? She had second thought. She didn't want to miss Sodom. When she turned, she turned into a pillar of salt. But the others kept going, and they survived. The church in Thessalonica thought that they had missed the second coming. And we're now going through the tribulation as there was persecution happening, and it appeared to be greater as time was going on. Paul assured them in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10 that they had not, that they would be raptured. He said, wait for his son from heaven, Paul said, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Translation, things are bad now. I guarantee you they're going to get worse if you're a believer. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Even though things will get bad, and I personally believe we will see some sort of persecution in our culture. In fact, North America, the U.S. and Canada, to my knowledge, were the only place that's never really experienced any form of persecution, serious persecution. I believe at some point these churches may be shut down. We may have to meet in homes again like the early church did. Don't get me wrong. I hope that doesn't happen, but it could. I believe that our Bibles could be labeled as hate literature. It actually is in some places now because we believe what God says in his word. And when you take a stand for the Lord, there's a certain amount of persecution. But I do guarantee you this. I firmly believe you're not going to go through the horrible things that are happening in the book of Revelation because the king is coming. Hallelujah. The king is coming. Can you say that with me? The king is coming. If you forget everything else that I say this morning, folks, always remember the rescue team is coming. He has a name, and his name is Jesus. In the rapture, only believers will see Christ coming. Hebrews 9.28 says, To those who eagerly wait for him will he appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. And the second coming, 
the entire globe will see him. Every laptop, every computer, every TV screen. You ever go in a restaurant these days and people are sitting there and, you know, it's, they're not even looking at each other. I pulled up to a light the other day and this person walked in front of me. I mean, I could have kept going. He didn't know I was going to stop. And what were they doing? That's all you saw. Well, when Jesus returns, if you think they're on that now, every TV set, every place where there's some sort of an audible translation or transmission will be showing that the king is here. Revelation 1 and 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Every single human being will be aware that he's come back. Even they who pierced him, that's Israel, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Can you imagine the crying? Can you imagine the emotion? Can you imagine those that have been to church, maybe on a Sunday morning like this, they had a chance to get their hearts and their lives right and they didn't? I hope everybody here this morning has a right relationship with Jesus. Because if you do, it's the best thing you can possibly do in this lifetime. There's no other reason why you're alive but to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's worth knowing. The last point I want to bring out this morning, number three, is the misunderstanding of the Thessalonian believers and even some believers today. As previously mentioned, these new believers in Thessalonica thought they had missed the rapture and were now going through the tribulation. Why? Because of persecution. And they also worried about their loved ones who had died in the faith. Folks, there are many weird things going on in the world today. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. Among the things that many of us thought we would never see is the beginning of the hatred of Christianity. Did, did you ever think you'd see that? I mean, at one time it was even respectable to be a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian. They trusted you. They believed you. You had a life that stood out a little bit from the others. Today that word doesn't mean so much. In fact, Christians more and more are being hated. All down through history, Christians have been hated and persecuted for their faith. I believe it's supernatural. Jesus said in John 15 and 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Some of you have paid a price for being a Christian we have in our own family. It split our own family up. We've been told point blank, you guys are weird. You guys don't believe like the rest of the world. You better get, get, you know, get with it. No, we won't. We want to be true to Jesus. We believe this word. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never fail. He will be always the same yesterday today and forever. Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You just want to make sure if you're being persecuted, it's not for your own foolishness. You haven't hurt somebody. You haven't said something you shouldn't. But if it's for Christ's sake, count it worthy. No one ever said it was easy to be a Christian. Anybody here find it easy to be a Christian? Raise your hand. I don't see one hand going up. It's not easy being a Christian. It's tough some days. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to be in his presence every single day of your life. I wake up some mornings and I say, good morning, Lord. I go in the shower and I just praise him sometimes. That doesn't mean I do every day, but I do. If I'm going down the street, driving in my, my truck, I say, Lord, I love you. I bless your name. I worship you. I'm so thankful that you 
called me to be your own. It is literally impossible to know the meaning to life and to fill your own purpose and destiny without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said, I'm not one of the choices. He said, I am the light of the world. No man comes to the Father but by me. We used to sing a song years ago. The Gaithers made it famous. You probably remember. He touched me. Anybody remember that? Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that fills my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. Only somebody who has asked Jesus to come into their heart has confessed their need of a Savior and say, Lord, I can't do this thing on your own. Please come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you. And I will do it all the days of my life. Then you can sing that kind of a song. Things might get worse. But not for us, folks. This world is not our home. There could be worldwide war again. And we don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East. But I guarantee you this. The Prince of Peace is coming back. There will be more pandemics. There will be more pestilence. There will be more plagues. But not the worst part for us because we will be with Jesus. You can read Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. They all talk about earthquake, earthquakes, famines, pestilence. And I will add floods, fires, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes. We see Bible prophecy every time we turn on the news. Isn't that the truth? But before Jesus physically returns to earth... He talks about these as being the beginning of sorrows. He will rapture us out of this world straight up to catch up with our loved ones who has died in the faith. Hallelujah. You know, some people may be a mile or two ahead of you, or a kilometer or two, however you want to do it. I'm still on the old system. But we're going to catch up. We're going to meet them in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. I close reminding you that there have been raptures before. Remember the story of Enoch in the Old Testament? He was just an ordinary guy, just like the fellows here, but he defied the culture of his own time and he decided to live faithful to God. By his example, he instituted faith in his great-grandson, Noah, who became the instrument of salvation for his own family and for that matter, the entire human race when God's judgment came in the flood. Hebrews 11 and 5 says, by faith Enoch was taken away, boom, raptured, gone. Boy, I'd like to go like that. Wouldn't that be good? You're going down the road one day and boom, you're gone. You're in the presence of the Lord. Well, that's what happened with Enoch. At least that's the way I read it. The Bible says that by faith Enoch was taken away. But before this, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Are you pleasing God this morning? And how you conduct all your affairs? Are you pleasing God this morning? And how you treat your neighbors? How you treat your wife? How you treat your husband? Are you pleasing God? 2 Kings 2.11 talks about the prophet Elijah being raptured. He was walking down the road with Elisha. You remember the story? Elijah knew that he was going to go home to be with the Lord. I don't know if he knew this was going to happen or not. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But he was talking to Elisha, his, uh, the one he was mentoring. And then it says, it happened as they continued and talked, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind right into heaven. You know, it's interesting to note just two verses before, in verse 9, that Elijah is talking to Elisha, and he expects to be raptured. 
boom, he's gone. Wow. Raptures have happened before. Are you living in expectation that Jesus is coming at any moment? Could whisk you away to glory? This verse bears repeating in Hebrews 9, 28, to those who eagerly look for him. Will he appear a second time apart from sin for salvation? Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I close with 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52. Turn with me if you will, unless it's going to be on the screen there. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Anybody know how fast that is, a twinkling of an eye? If you blink your eye, that's a lot faster than a twinkling, boom. Twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, there's that word trumpet again. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Can I hear hallelujah? Amen. John, thank you for bringing the word to us this morning. I'm a preacher and I have a mic, so sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, we have um, a saying in our men's group um, that comes up, especially when uh, end times kind of discussions happen in our group. And uh, we're frequent to say, well, that's, that's one interpretation. Um, and so, John, I really appreciate you sharing your interpretation of those things with us uh, this morning. And uh, my focus, more so than on when we leave and relating to seven years or a thousand years and all these different things, is my focus is I want to be ready for when he comes. And, uh, and I think that's where we want to be. And I want to just close us today with a little bit longer passage than normal, uh, where Peter is basically saying that same thing in Second Peter. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years in a thousand years, this is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, should come and reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away uh, with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth will be works that are done on it uh, will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's go and be followers of Jesus this week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. 
If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for being-